The Big 12 is on its last legs. The SEC is getting bigger, and Kevin Warren is still the worst conference commissioner in America. Welcome back, friends, to the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, along with your favorite history teacher and mine, Johnny Ray Genner. Johnny, welcome back to the show. It is the Olympics. I know you and I are both big fans of the running of the whatever hundred and some Olympiad this happens to be extra special for you being that uh, you spent some of your formative years in Japan, although only about 12 minutes in Tokyo from what I've learned. How are you enjoying these games so far? I think it's cool. I think it's sad that there aren't fans in the stands and I know it's incredibly controversial in Japan. I think something like 60, 65% of the public in Japan are either just flat outright against them happening at all, or think they should have been delayed further. But, uh, you know, I, there is something really special about the Olympics just in general, in part because of how much attention it gives to a lot of sports that really don't get it otherwise. And I think already this Olympiad, you've already seen some really cool performances from Americans in sports that America just has not really done anything in ever. Like there was a fencing gold that had never happened before, a Taekwondo gold that had never happened before. There's been some cool stuff in the pool already. I'm, I'm excited for more of that tonight. So I just, I love watching that. And in Japan, you know, it's it's a place where I did spend a year and, and I got to teach there and it was a lot of fun. Um, and it's kind of cool seeing some of the cultural things that I recognize and whatnot. So that's cool. So I don't know. I'm, I'm having a good time. I watch a lot of it every year. I know you do too. Is there anything that you were like, you, you've kind of honed in on in this early stage of the uh, the Olympics? Well, the thing that's really interesting is uh, watching it on the various streaming services. This is really the oh, first yeah. Olympics I've tried to watch mostly via streaming as opposed to whatever NBC is cranking out on on the local affiliate that night. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's been kind of interesting. We've watched we watched quite a bit of men's gymnastics that basically the highlights um, since it's all, you know, tape delayed for the most part because I'm not I love the Olympics. I'm probably not staying up to two or 3 AM to watch something. Uh, we did watch quite a lot of the, the, the swimming, both men's and women's, as you mentioned, the Americans did very, very well. Uh, we watched both those. I watched more skateboarding than <laughs> I ever would have expected. Um, and that was interesting since that's one of the new sports, this, um, this Olympics. And, and I, I'm not going to be an, an old man, get off my grass, complaining about skateboarding in the Olympics because there is no questioning the athletic skill and talent and ability that goes into it. I'll just say it was it was different. Um, uh-huh. And the, the the heat that we watched, I had to laugh because the I guess you call it the announcer's curse or something. They really hyped it up. You know, this is the heat of death. These guys are the, they're, 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 these are the best in the world. And like of the six guys that were in that split four of them fell down an average of like three times during oh, yeah. their course runs. I was like, yeah. Okay. And the first guy that came up was this French, French competitor. And uh, they said something like, Oh, you know, here's an upcoming. And he smoked everybody in the field, mm-hmm. <laughs> that particular one. And uh, yeah. So I know nothing about competitive skating. It was cool seeing Tony Hawk on the, the commentary for a little while, although he's only on with Tariko for about 90 seconds it felt like so i like how they do that when they bring in guys you know people from the past who are really good and and they've kind of got some insight and and occasionally it doesn't work out super hot but michael phelps was doing commentary and he was excellent i thought he did an incredible job yes with the swimming commentary because there's there's a lot in swimming that people don't really understand just and that's with any sport right if that's not something that you've done you don't know all the nuances and he did an excellent job of like 
all the little things that swimmers are thinking about during a race that helps them either win or gain some kind of advantage. He was really good at detailing that stuff. I thought that was really cool. By the way, I just, I have to mention this because it's the most hilarious thing I've seen so far. I have rugby on in the background, right? And <laughs> again, they're in the stadium. It's great. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which teams are. It's like Japan versus I think Fiji or something like that. Nobody in the stands, but to bring out the rugby ball, they had this little scooter just come out with the rugby ball on top of it. And it had a little patch of grass on top of the scooter. And then a little mechanical arm dumped the rugby ball off oh, the wow. grass on top of the scooter at the at the halfway line. Oh, my God. And then it did a little spin and then ran off the field. It's fantastic. That is, that is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I love that. Your opening, your your opening scrum brought to you by Roomba. That yeah, that's ser seriously, honest to God, that's what it was like. And it lit up. It had a bunch of little different lights and stuff. Oh my God, fantastic! That's fantastic. See, that's and that's yeah, what I'm talking about. I love all the different stories about the Olympics. I love all the goofy crap that happens. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's it's good. So I think so far it's been a very entertaining uh, Olympics, despite the fact that they don't have the the fans in the stands. And obviously, you know, opening ceremonies had to be a little bit different and all that kind of stuff. So I'm enjoying well, it. Ohio State has a school record 26 Olympians in Tokyo for the running of the 2020 Games. Uh, that That is uh, far and away the school record. I think the 2008 Beijing Olympics uh, saw 19 Buckeyes. So this is a sizable increase uh, in a decade's time. And, you know, kudos to all those, of course, um, competing for Team USA. looks like two, four, six, eight, nine, ten. Ten, ten Buckeyes competing for Team USA and others competing for their home country, quite a few Canadian competitors, um, and then Buckeyes competing for France, Greece, Italy, Mexico, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Sierra Leone, Spain, Sri Lanka, Trinidad, and Tobago. Nice. All very cool. And, and of course, you know, it doesn't surprise me. We've got, um, when you look at the breakdown by sport, four in fencing, which Ohio State has a tremendous fencing program, uh, just a couple of gymnasts, including Alec Yoder, who had I think the uh, routine of his life the other night for Team USA is his only event, and he smoked it there on the, um, I think he was on the pommel, and mm -hmm. it was a really, really great routine to make it into the finals, so kudos to him. Had, uh, looks like, half a dozen rowers, and I'm really looking forward, of course, to wrestling next weekend. Uh, Kyle Snyder, the Ohio State alumnus and gold medalist from the Rio Games, will be back defending his title. Very much looking forward to seeing if we can get a Kyle Snyder, um, Sajulayev rematch. The, see if we can can uh, get him back yeah, on the right cool. side of the win column with Sajulayev. So, all right. The Olympics are off and running. We'll talk more about that next week on the show. I have no doubt in my mind because you and I are Olympic geeks. Top of the page today in college football news, Texas and Oklahoma. They've decided to take their kickball and go home. No, not home, but to the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> Shockwaves through the college football universe and I think has implications far beyond even college football in terms of whether or not the Big 12 can survive if it's two marquee universities, in fact, get out of Dodge and never look back. Johnny, first off, <laughs> did this news surprise you? And, and is this as earth-shattering as it seems to be oh it definitely surprised me i mean i i think in the sense that like the logic of it did not surprise me right like the reasoning behind it you want to make more money all this other stuff that's not shocking that's not you know making my jaw drop or anything like that but just the timing of it and the fact that you know it, it happened all at once and so quickly that was i think pretty surprising to me 
Um, but it makes sense. And the Big 12's days, are, I mean, they're that's numbered. I mean, that's <laughs> that's crazy to me. Um, but I don't know, man. I think this is a huge deal. I think this is a really, really, really big honking deal because it changes the landscape, not just in terms of the competitive landscape of college football, but I the the media landscape. I don't know what it looks like the next five years now because of this. Because you know, Texas really them doing this and Oklahoma going along with it because Oklahoma didn't want to you know have to prop up the uh, you know Big Twelve all by themselves. And I, I think it was a lot of this was probably um, instigated by Texas, but you know, they tried the Longhorn Network and tried to make a go of it and and kind of arrogantly, in my opinion, felt that they could do the same thing that the Big Ten did and get all this revenue and whatnot. That did not work out. They did not get the kind of returns from that that they expected. And now they're hitching their wagon to a conference that, you know, they think will get them more revenue. So, you know, I, I know some people might be like, well, it'd be cool if it were the Big Ten instead of the SEC, but uh, it's this is where things are going now I, we can have an extended conversation about like super conferences and whatnot, but I don't know, man, I, I think in the short term, this is a really big deal in the long term, I don't think we have any idea what it's going to change, but it's going to change a lot in terms of television rights, media broadcasts, all that crap. I'm going to go back and challenge something you said earlier is what you said to begin with was, well, you know, it makes sense. I, I'm not sure it does make sense. It, it does in the sense of the crass, finances of it i'll, I'll yeah. grant you that when you look at the numbers uh 2020 power five conferences by revenue the big 10 was the leader out of the clubhouse at nearly 790 million dollars in total revenue mm -hmm. the sec was uh not far behind about 70 million dollars behind at 728.9 million and then there was a huge gulf the pac-12 the lowly pac-12 actually came in at 533.8 million that is Yes, almost $200 million between the SEC and the Pac-12. And That's the Big wild. 12 was in last place among the Power Fives at just $409 million. So if you think about that, that's $380 million of difference between number one and number five among the Power Five conferences. So that part does make sense. But I want to I make this about something that's not just money. Like it, maybe it is just money. Maybe <laughs> it you, is just money. Can you but, make it about something that's not just money? Well, well that... here's my thing. Neither of those schools, Oklahoma or Texas mm -hmm. have given me any reason to believe that they can unseat Alabama as the conference champion on a consistent basis. That's sure. Alabama's conference. And occasionally Georgia or LSU or Auburn, uh -huh. are going to pop up and do something interesting for a season or maybe two. And then they'll go back into being Alabama's foil for a year. Uh, I don't see Texas and Oklahoma coming in to challenge that hedge money anyway, shape or form. So I'm looking and saying from a competitive standpoint is, is the assumption that, well, since it's now going to be a much broader playoff and the sec seems guaranteed to get three to four, teams in the playoff every year that it doesn't really matter if we can win the conference or not we'll have a seat at the table is is yeah. that it because i, I think I it's got to be say, part of it that's got to be power, part of it if the power 12s get auto bids you know to this playoff power 12 power fives i mean then the big 12 was going to get a shot you know mm -hmm. so if you're oklahoma you're going to get in because yeah. you're going to win the conference more often than not I, so i i just look at it from oklahoma standpoint and maybe it is just the money because i'm not sure i get it outside of that one thing I, first of all, the other thing though, like 
I agree that yes, Alabama has the the conference locked up, you know, for the foreseeable future, but that's only maybe for like another five years or so. Like Nick Saban's not going to coach forever, right? And if you're Texas, you're like, okay, well, we're still going to get bids, right? As long as we win, and Oklahoma's going to get bids, as long as we win 10 or 11 games, we're in the college football playoff. Saban's not going to be around forever. There's going to have, there's going to be some kind of talent vacuum. If you're Texas and Oklahoma, you're like, well, we definitely have the Western part of the conference wrapped up in terms of recruiting. Like we're not worried. Who are we worried about? Like, you know, Ole Miss, you know, like Arkansas, are those the teams that we're competing against? So I think they're not freaking out about recruiting. I think they're comfortable being maybe like, you know, second to Alabama or third Alabama in that tier or whatever, right below them uh, when it comes to competing for an SEC championship. And that's good enough for them for right now. And if they can make a butt ton more money in the process, waiting for Alabama to kind of like, you know, lose that hegemony and, and, you know, step into that spot that I think they're comfortable doing that. I don't think I have a problem with that. Um, I, I want to read you some numbers though. And I want you to think about this. Okay. okay. All right. Here, here, here are the numbers six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six, 10 and four, eight and five and seven and three. What numbers did I just read you? I would imagine that's uh, Texas's record over the past several years. Texas record since Mac Brown left and headed you know, to the media booth and then back to yeah. home sweet home Carolina. I, you know, I, I just look and say you're <laughs> winning, do. you're winning between five and eight games a season. Sure. I mean, Herman has them marginally better than Charlie strong. Uh-huh. I don't know that all of a sudden I'm like, Oh geez, Tom Herman, look at that guy. It's not like, you know, he's come in and suddenly is, is kicking the shit out of the big 12 and the big yeah. 12 is nowhere near as good as, I mean, Oklahoma is the team that I think, all right, yes, you can go in and make some noise. I think Oklahoma can be competitive with, Georgia and LSU for second or third place in the conference. I, I sort of get that. I think they can make regular appearances in the SEC title game, depending on how they, you know, shake out these, the whatever division, if they end up being in the SEC West, I guess they, they just do a pretty strict geography split there. Don't they? Yeah. Uh, so I, well, I, I mean, I think that's what they should do. I know they've been talking about like pods and stuff, but I think yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's so, what makes the most sense. But I don't get something like this. Okay, this is all predicated on Texas wanting more money. Uh, sure. It's always about Texas wanting more money. The, the the Longhorn Network was all about Texas. I mean, and the Big 12 already has this wonky skewed revenue split to appease Texas anyway. <laughs> yeah, and they were talking about possibly doing it even more. Oh, my God. That was the thing. Like the, that they're, How pissed off would you be if you were literally any other school <laughs> in the Big 12 besides <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas? Like at a certain point, you're like, just go. Just leave. I don't care what happens. Right, right. Like if I'm we'll go to the Mountain West, of Kansas, you know, at what point aren't you saying like, uh, screw you guys? You don't yeah, exactly. Anyway. I, because they were literally talking about what doubling their share. Yeah, for those two schools. Stupid. What that is? Yes, because those other. Schools- but that's what. I, but that's my point though with Texas. Texas believes that they deserve that. Whatever the record's been for the past decade or so at Texas, they believe that they're one year away from being right back to prominence and being the team that they were when, like you know. Daryl Royal, whatever was in charge. And they'll be like, okay, Sark's going to be the guy who gets us to the mountaintop. I don't think I agree with you. I mean, they don't necessarily have reason to believe that. I don't think they're Tennessee, right? I don't think they're, they're at that level quite yet, but they believe that they can go into the sec and make a bunch of noise. I, I firmly believe that both institutionally, their fans, all that they're like, we're just, we're one season away from being right there with Alabama. And I don't think that's true, but I think they believe it enough to the fact, to the point where they think that this is a good idea that it's going to be, you know, 
let me put it this way. Texas in no way believes themselves to be the equal of like an LSU or an Auburn or anything like that. They definitely consider themselves better than that. Um, and they shouldn't, but they do. And I, I think that's where a lot of that comes from. I think there's a lot of arrogance and I think this just entitlement and, you know, I, I don't think Texas is going to step into the shoes of Alabama, you know, once Nick Saban's gone or, I mean, who knows, maybe, you know, Alabama well, hires a guy who's the next Nick Saban. They don't, that's not true. I mean, they're, they're going to hire Dabo, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, Dabo's going to step right in there and continue they might. titles. Dabo's not an old dude. He's got tons of years. Right. Left. That's so I, th- that's where I guess I discount the idea that Alabama is not going to be good after. Nick right. Saban. I don't think, I, 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 don't, I, don't I think that's a bad assumption as well. Beca- because Ohio state has, has shown that you can go from Jim Trestle to Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. I mean, you can go from Earl Bruce to John Cooper to Jim Trestle. To Urban Meyer. Sure. Right. Like if your worst case scenario is Earl Bruce, give me a break. Right. Exactly. I mean, I guess your is your worst case scenario Earl Bruce is your worst case scenario John Cooper. Either way, gee, many Christmas. Right. Oh there no. Are, there are two hundred other year schools minimum. Yeah, right. There are two hundred other schools in the country that be like, sign me up for that crap. Right. <laughs> like, I'll exactly. take your cast offs. So right. I, Texas is delusional. Uh, Oklahoma, I, you know, all right, fine. I, I think Oklahoma can be competitive. Texas A&M's proven that they can be competitive, but it's not like they've come in and win the con- won the conference. Well, A&M's freaking out, by the way. Oh, that's Jesus, of course my, they are. They're peeing down their legs. That's my favorite part about this entire thing is that because um, A&M, I mean, their fans are a very proud group of individuals. You know, they, there's a lot of culture there. There's a lot of kind of build up like, okay, we're the Aggies, you know, we're, yeah, those are my people. I mean, that's cause that's, yeah, the we're, that's yeah, we're a strong, yeah. like military, you know, presence all this. So there's a lot of machismo, a lot of, a lot of ego, a lot of, you know, like we're, we're big and we're strong and all this other crap. And what's funny is, is that after all this kind of went down, I went on a couple of like A&M boards and checked <laughs> out, you know, I wanted to get the temperature of the room, see how their fans are handling it. And it was hilarious. It was not because, well. <laughs> yeah, well, because they don't want to admit they're afraid. So they, because that would, you know, we're in it. We're we're not like the tough wussies down there at Austin. We're we're tough, scary guys up here in College Station. And all of the threads, all of the commentary is like we're so angry at these guys uh, for daring to join the conference, but they wouldn't really explain why they were mad. And of course, the answer is is that the recruiting is going to take a hit all of a sudden they have to play programs that kind of will have them on the run. I mean, it's, it's not really an ideal situation for A&M. It, it definitely hurts their program because their program's not that great comparatively. Um, so that was really fun. I, I enjoyed watching that bit quite a bit. That was fun. I, I find this whole thing very interesting and it's made me go back and reread long before I was writing uh, about the team on the site long before I was uh was even uh, a member of our vaunted mod squad as as a regular joe reading the site uh, back in the days when you could actually fire your own blog up on 11warriors.com uh-huh. uh we're talking way back into 2012 i was blogging about college football expansion and and what i find amusing is that apparently i was either ahead of my time or some of this stuff is so uh blatantly obvious that even a random jabroni like me could come up with some of the things we've heard since the Texas Oklahoma news broke. There was um, there was a report that Kansas had made overtures to the Big Twelve, uh, and and I went through. There was or also the a discussion. 10. Yeah, that would be the one, the Big Ten, <laughs> the other conference with big in its <laughs> name. Uh, there there was also some word that uh, you know, or, or somebody had speculated. I want to say it was um, it was either Staples or Feldman. It was one of the national guys was speculating. You know that um, the Big Big Ten needed to go in and raid 
the ACC for some of its uh, uh, teams, you know, in this next wave of conference realignment. And it made mm. me go back and look at some things I wrote in 2012 and 13. And, and among them was the suggestion that what big Jim Delaney needed to do was to go in and raid the ACC cookie jar and okay. pull out the AAU, you know, land grand type schools that were in that footprint, including but not limited to schools like UVA, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and uh, maybe even Florida State, although I was a little iffy on that one. Yeah. Uh, what, what gets really interesting about this, and the reason I raise this, are, are, we, are we now just a season or two between the expansion of the playoff and the impending implosion of the Big 12, which was on the verge of death when the last round of conference alignment happened? Right. Are we at a point where we're now going to inevitably move to four super conferences and be done or, or is four even too many? Will there be two <laughs> or three when we're done? Is this going to look more, to more like the NFL? <laughs> I don't, here's the thing. I, I was thinking about this earlier and um, I was talking actually to, to our good friend, Nick, uh, Nick Jervy earlier today about this. And I, I think there is a tipping point. There is a tipping point to which the idea of these super conferences becomes less desirable for some of these teams, right? Because financially, I mean, what you're going to, it's one thing to be splitting the revenues between like, you know, 12, 15 teams, whatever, and then spreading the revenues between like 24 or 25 teams. And I, I, I don't think there's a linear progression to how much money you're going to be making based on who's in your conference or division or league or whatever you want to call it. So I, I think you're going to get diminishing returns on that eventually. The other thing, though, is like, would a school like Ohio State, for example, want to give up a certain amount of cultural cachet by joining all these other teams where maybe their relevance, maybe their impact gets a little diluted. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like I, I do. Texas, cause you know, Texas is special and they're in the state of Texas and Oklahoma, of course, you know, has a monopoly in the state of Oklahoma. That's not going to change. But on the other hand, if you're competing for a narrative with all of these other teams on a week to week basis, I think it does kind of diminish your brand a little bit. And Ohio State, you know, as long as the Big Ten is making money hand over fist, I don't think Ohio State really has a desire to share the spotlight with like a Texas. Like, let's say Texas comes to the Big Ten. I know that Ohio State would necessarily be stoked about that. I mean, yeah, the revenues would go up, but now you've got to compete for the attention with all these other schools and, and the different rivalries that that entails. I just, I think there is a caring capacity for some of these divisions, conferences, whatever you want to call it. And the idea that there might be giant super conferences that encompass, you know, all of these different programs and D one or whatever, you know, FBS, SC, whatever. I don't know that that's necessarily likely. I, I think you may see conferences with maybe 20 teams or whatever. I don't think it would get much bigger than that. Yeah. I think I made the argument back then that for four 20 team, and I'm not the only one that was, was talking about that, of course, but for 20 team super conferences seemed like, you know, sort of an inevitability. And, and maybe mm -hmm. that's what we're on the cusp of that you have whatever, uh, you know, a, a PAC 12, big 12 conglomeration, you know, whatever those Western schools end up. Cause I think one of the things that is special and unique about, uh, or at least used to be about college football was this idea that, that it was mostly a regional sport that you had mm -hmm. you know, these, or these regional conferences you know, Southeastern conference, uh, big, Tw big 10 was your Midwestern conference and so on. And then bowl season and the postseason was all about 
these exhibition games between these regional rivals. So Ohio State versus Southern California in the Rose Bowl. You know, that was that was something that was unique and special about college football back in the day. That's clearly not the case anymore. It's a national sport. It's a big national sport. Uh, but but what I find where I agree with you a lot on kind of losing some of that is you don't have to look any further than West Virginia's addition to the Big 12. Right. By the way, there's the team I feel worst about, or worst for out of uh, everybody and all this. They moved to the Big 12, um, and it's been you know a slog for them because they have to travel seven million miles every time right. they play game because they're on this island out and under themselves. They'd be a much better fit geographically with the Big Ten, although they in no way, shape, or form fit the Big Ten mold of being an AAU school or any of those things academically. They, right. they don't. They don't at all fit the mold. Um, but you know, you look there, there's never been a fit, if you will, um, regionally between West Virginia and the big 12. They're just not, you know, so that that's something that you're losing, you know, Texas at least is, is contiguous to the rest of the sec footprint. I don't consider Texas Southeast, uh, at all, but it at least is contiguous with right. The rest of the conference footprint. It's not clear out in the middle of nowhere, you know, Oklahoma to me, I'm like, okay, now you're sort of getting, you know, a little far west for, for for what I would call a southeastern conference team. But you know, I could see, uh, you know, maybe it's it's the ACC, uh, it's the SEC, it's the Big Ten and the Pac-12 or whatever it ends up being the Pac-20. Uh, you know, as being the the final end game of this. Here's I want to shift gears a moment. Here's my hypothesis, and you tell me that I'm wrong. Whatever okay. this next round of college conference realignment looks like the big 10 is in the worst possible position because kevin warren is the commissioner who will be navigating (laughs) this strategy how do you feel about that hypothesis johnny is that am i on to something or Uh, or am i or am i being unfair to the commissioner no you're not being unfair to the commissioner i I think they're in a good position because they're still going to be making crap tons of money and they've got really good brands and all that kind of stuff but yeah the guy at top who is making these decisions is not not the dude who you would hope would be leading this and i mean obviously his performance at big 10 media days is something that you know rightfully people were pretty pissed off about and you know i wrote about it and it's just it's not the issue is not that he is making terrible decisions like he's making all the wrong decisions or something like that it's actually worse than that because he's not making any decisions he's not taking any kind of real leadership role and when you've got a situation like a pandemic or NIL or conference expansion, you've got to have a plan. Like you have to be out front on this stuff. And, you know, whatever you want to say about Jim Delaney, that was a dude who had a lot of plans. He had a lot of ideas. Look, about what he Look, Delaney had the biggest balls of anybody in the sport yes. because he looked at ESPN and says, call my bluff. Right. Mother Humper. I, I yeah. you know, and, and, right. and he picked up his chips and walked away and it worked and, and, he, it, and it was he a was right. It was, and it was absolutely a gamble for him to do that. A lot of people were super skeptical about the ability for the big 10, especially at that point in time. This is the other thing that we need to talk about the big 10, when the big 10 network was created was not right. This marquee football conference that everybody had confidence in was going to be able to generate a lot of revenue and a lot of views, right? This is, this is, a point in time when the Big Ten was really looked down upon as like the weakest of all the power conferences. So people were looking at that going, like, what the hell are you doing? And even in that environment, it was still really successful. Um, but again, he had set up all the media stuff ahead of time. He knew exactly what the landscape looked like. He knew that even in that situation, 
it would a raise the profile of the Big Ten and b be a big money maker. And he he had done all the legwork necessary to make sure that would be a success. Kevin Warren hasn't really done that kind of work for any of this stuff, and that's what's really frustrating about it because. You know, when we talk about, you know, with COVID, right, you know, you've got the resurgence, you got this Delta variant, more people are getting infected, not enough people are vaccinated. And he gets on stage and basically goes, you know, we're just kind of leaving to the schools to figure this out. We'll, we'll let you know in early August. So I'm like, that's exactly what you did last year. That is exactly what you did in August of 2020, said there would be no revision of the plan and then had to revise the plan a month later because you literally created that plan the day before you announced it. There has to be better preparation than this. And one of the things that Jim Delaney also was really great at was getting everybody on the same page, right? And that, it just feels like you have a bunch of people, a bunch of different conferences in the Big Ten, all kind of doing their own thing. The only people that I've really seen leadership from throughout this past year, at least from an Ohio State perspective, are people like Christina Johnson and Gene Smith, who, who do have plans and are really great administrators and know what they're doing. Um, I just... I don't have a lot of confidence in this dude. And if I don't have confidence in this dude, I can't imagine that anybody else in the conference as an athletic director or president has a lot of confidence in this dude. Um, he just seems really detached from what's going on. And I don't think he's a dummy. I just don't think he's, I just don't think he's prepared. I don't think he's got a plan and you got to have plans at this point. Yeah. I think what we're learning from this is that your first strategy job uh, your first real leadership job probably shouldn't be as commissioner no. of the largest uh, by revenue conference in college no. football. I mean, this, this is an operations guy, you know, who I think was probably very good at that and is now, I mean, this is, to me, this is the perfect example of the Peter principle. Uh, the reason <laughs> I brought it up was his comments at media days, as you noted, his performance was abysmal is absolutely terrible at the podium. Um, the communications people he should spoke all be for 26 for minutes about, you know, whatever random BS you wanted to talk about that had no real relevance to what was going on. He took seven questions, five of which were actual like kind of questions, two of which were basically like, how'd you get so cool kind of questions. And none of them addressed the really serious issues. Like the, his answers that he gave were just the most Tressalian, you know, like not non answers of all time, which is great if you're Jim Tressel and you're talking about nothing, you know, it's great but, if you're Jim Tressel because you were good. Well, you can't, you can't give Trim, Jim Tressel answers when you suck at your job. Yeah, well, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because Jim Tressel, yes, exactly. Jim Tressel was good at his job and it didn't matter what kind of answers he gave because the results spoke for themselves. Yes. If you're not good at your job, you need to be able to prove that you're getting better. And he did not do that. Uh, and, and here, here's the perfect example. I think the other reason that I just have no faith whatsoever that the big 10 will come out of the next round of realignment and expansion in a, in a good shape uh, is is because of this answer. When asked if Warren had any regrets with how the Big Ten handled COVID-19 last year, he said, no, I would make the same decisions that we made. <laughs> would? Really? Mr. Commissioner, knowing everything you know now, you would go back and make the same decisions again? That smacks to me. And I, I realize that being CEO means you never have to say you were wrong. I, I get mm. that. But at some point, when you clearly, clearly screwed the pooch on how you handled that last year, I think you have to come out and be like, you know, 
we, we thought we had some more support or consensus from the other conferences. Clearly we didn't. I mean, I think you could have answered that question in a way that didn't say, gosh, you know, we really screwed up everything without <laughs> saying, oh, I do the same thing all over again. Because if your answer is, I would do the same thing all over again, you are clearly a moron and, and have not learned from your mistakes. What's, what's the harm? Like, that's what I don't understand about that either is like, what kind of risk does he incur? What kind of damage does he take by saying, yeah, we screwed up? And we need to do better. I mean, like, he'll throw great because because we all know. I mean, because we all know you screwed up and needed to do better, right? Yeah. Like any any random jabroni could see that. Throw Greg Sankey under the bus if you want. You know, be like, sure. hey, you know what? We thought the other conferences were with us and they screwed us. Like, yeah. I, you know what? I would totally respect that answer. <laughs> I would respect throwing Greg Sankey under the bus. As well, well. But, but because clearly <laughs> they thought the other conferences would follow, right? They were yeah, on they the did. same. Yes. Or or hey, if the answer is you know what, we were on the same page with the Pac-12 and we thought the others would too. And, and if the real answer is you never asked, then you well, need to own up to that and be like, you know what? We needed to have done a better job of building consensus. Yeah. And that's fine. I would respect that answer too. I just don't, I don't think he, I mean, the guy's got an extension. I don't think he takes, incurs any kind of damage from just saying we screwed up. And I agree with you. I, that was a terrible response. I mean, for people who get really upset about it, like us, like it's one thing, but people who are just, you know, kind of, following him and what he's doing you know when he screws up whatever they're like well okay that makes sense because he's terrible but that's the problem like you've got to you've got to show something better than that and i don't know man it's you want better administrative leadership in the big 10 than that and you're just not getting it and i agree with you like when you've got conference realignment nil it's if you're not ahead of these situations you're already behind because I guarantee you everybody other, you know, everybody else in all these other conferences, all these other commissioners, all these other ADs, all these other presidents have formulated five years in advance, what they want to do with their, um, with their programs. So. Yeah. yeah the other it, conferences are now at a point, Greg Sankey in particular, where they're playing chess and Kevin Warren is playing, I don't know, tic-tac-toe by himself. Yeah. That's, that's what it looks like. Uh, unfortunately, some other news that came out of the Big Ten Media Days, Commissioner Warren told New Jersey Advanced Media Thursday that the conference will begin rotating the Big Ten Championship sites as early as next season Sweet. when the conference's contract with Lucas Oil Stadium expires. Is this just a negotiating tactic with Lucas Oil Stadium, or do you think we're actually going to see, as Warren indicated, a Big Ten title game in MetLife Stadium in New York? Um, I think, you know, they've talked about maybe wanting to do something like that for a while. I wouldn't be shocked if, um, if something like that did happen. I, I think that's a bad choice. That particular place is maybe not uh, ideal for the Big Ten. I, I would probably prefer something like, you know, Soldier Field or whatever, but, um, or, you know, even go up to, to Minneapolis and, and go there. But, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened. And, you know, you want to keep generating excitement, and I think that might be a way to do it. Uh, I, I would be fine with that. I, I think that would be fun. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice because Indianapolis is close to Columbus. That's convenient. But I can that's understand why the big venue, though. I mean, that's, it is. And it's central to the conference, right? So, yeah, it's close to Columbus. It's an easy drive, and Ohio State's in the game every year, so it's nice for fans. But mm -hmm. for the rest of the conference, I mean – you know, it, it, it is centrally located, you know, Nebraska. Yeah, sure. They've got a hall, Maryland. Sure. They've got a hall, but you know, I, I mean, is that just the idea is that, okay, we're going to, cause where are you going to have it when you want to have it in the West? That's closer to Nebraska. You're going to have it at Memorial stadium and give them a home right. game. No, you're not going to do that. Right. 
yeah i don't know it's it'll be interesting to see how that works out but um i don't know i wouldn't mind it, it it's just i my dream and i know this isn't going to necessarily happen for a conference championship but i they were talking about it with you know college football playoffs i really just want to see more postseason stuff done on campuses or outside or in the elements or something like that because that is one of the things that i do enjoy about the nfl playoffs is that it's not like okay well we played this whole season you know going to each other's places and outside and deal with the elements and now we're going to kind of be in this sterile environment for our championships and our playoff stuff so i i i like the idea of like maybe new scenery doing it in adverse conditions all that kind of stuff that that is something that i enjoy so we'll see if that happens i i think they still want to keep it very pristine and inside and all that but I don't know. I liked it to be a little more woolly and wild. That's that's my whole thing. Yeah, I, I just thought Lucas Oil was a great venue and it kind of, you know, made, made, I don't know, made it a little special that, hey, you get you get to go play in an NFL stadium yeah. as, as sort of a reward for making the conference championship type of thing. Um, yeah. I, I'm with you, though. If you're going to move it around, put them on campus. Put them yeah. on campus. I, college football is special and unique and has especially in the big 10 right has these hallowed halls like playing a conference championship game in camp randall stadium playing a conference championship game in the horseshoe like that'd be cool yeah, i, I would totally cool. i would totally be on and, and and again there again make that a reward make that an incentive home field advantage right for being ranked top of the conference you know whatever it is being the highest ranked team in the country i don't know i i could see that being really really cool and of course that means they're never going to do it yeah <laughs> all right uh other news out of big 10 media days um we are we are now getting close my friends very very close uh, as of today we are 42 days out from Ohio State taking the field against Minnesota for the season opener. That means it's been 3,531 days since Michigan has last defeated the Buckeyes. Coach Ryan Day. A lot of days. Said, a lot of days. Coach Ryan Day says uh, the Buckeyes vaccination rate will be close to 100%, but not requiring football players to get COVID-19 vaccine. Kind of threading the needles there. Do mm. you think COVID will be a factor again this season in terms of when teams and how teams are able to field a squad do you do you expect it to be uh something that we have to sweat about week in and week out like we did a year ago maybe <laughs> like i honestly i was not a big fan of ryan day's response to that i thought you know where he's like well we just kind of leave it up to the student like i understand that like you can't force anybody you're not going to like strap them to a chair like you gotta get this vaccine. because ohio state as a university did not do what indiana did right and mandate that students would get vaccinated. But on the other hand, a guy like Nick Saban comes out and says, Hey, guess what? Like if we, if you don't get vaccinated, you know, we're just, we're basically screwed and we're going to like, I, I imagine that what was going on in the background of uh, Alabama in terms of like what they were like trying to make sure that their, their players had done maybe was a little bit different than Ohio state because Nick Saban's like, yeah, we're good where everybody's like and i'm like i wonder how you were able to accomplish that in a place like alabama <laughs> and then maybe it's because nick saban just sat on people and were like you're done like this is it you get the damn shot you want to play like, you want to exactly. play it's that simple and and honestly like i think that's what maybe ryan day should have come out and said and said look if we want to avoid cancellations maybe not having as many fans in the stands if we want to avoid all that same crap that we just went through damn right we're going to be vaccinated and i think that's something that he should have come out and said directly in big 10 media days and maybe he said that privately to the players i don't know but like i i just don't want to go through this crap we have a vaccine it's effective it's effective against the delta variant 
if, if people want to be in stands, if you don't want to see the same kind of crap that we saw last season with forfeited games, and all this stuff, get the damn vaccine. And that includes people who, uh, you know, are on the team, right? Like it, I just, I don't want to go through this again. And we have a solution that needs to be like used. So was, was I would have liked to see him come said, out a little uh, Was it Saban who said, you know, if you don't get vaccinated, you don't want to win badly enough? Was, yeah. Was that, yeah, was that his quote? Brilliant. Something like that? I, yeah, I love that. Yeah, Make, that's exactly what you should be saying. And I, yeah. I wish Ryan Day had said something similar. So, well, and maybe and, he did and, behind closed doors, right? Maybe. And, and you know what? And I'm sure he's supported the vaccine, all that stuff. I'm not saying he's not. I, yeah. I just think when you have that kind of platform, you need to. You need to use it. Was it, it was he politicking knowing that Ohio is maybe 50% vaccinated as a state? Was he, was maybe. he, was he, was he trying to keep from getting hate mail from? No, I don't think he cares who, about that, but okay, I, I do right. think that maybe he was trying to like not put public pressure on, you know, families or players or whatever, sure. a little iffy about it, which again, uh, I think you can do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's, I'm, that's I'm a, all about it. Go I get think your that's shot, a chance folks. you have to take. You just if you like, love you know college what? football, go get your shots. That's all. Right, exactly. That's all it is. All right. Exactly. Uh, other, other notes from coach day's presser coach day talked about the expanding college football playoff and, and uh, noted that he was very much a fan. The playoff expands to 12 teams as has been proposed certainly gives the Buckeyes a little bit more of, uh, of a broader margin for error right now. You're in that scenario where, you know, one loss uh, can and has, uh, kept you out of the playoff, but having a much larger field. You know who is not in favor of expanding the playoff, Johnny? <laughs> Dumb people. Guy, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> guy, guy, guy you're, uh, you and I are big fans of uh, Dabo Swinney, oh, who, yeah. who also came out last week and said he was not in favor of playoff expansion. Well, of but not. then again, he didn't support the four-team playoff either. Because no. uh, <laughs> he's got to be a contrarian. He also has to protect his status. And he doesn't want his team to have to play more games. And he doesn't want them to have to like face challenges from teams that might beat them i mean it's the thing that i'm noticing about clemson and this may be it's not just from Dabo. it just it's how their program feels in general it's that they're very like ohio state has this a little bit too honestly but it's like we have to set up things perfectly for ourselves because if any if one thing goes wrong it, it the whole house of cards just falls apart and it's funny because like you know, stuff with Dabo and, and Venables and, you know, the, the sign stealing and all that kind of stuff. It's like, we have to do this because if we don't do it, then we're not going to win. And then when they lose to Ohio State, you know, Ohio State going no huddle and all this other stuff. Or, and then and then huddling up and like just messing with the whole system uh, and then proving that it works. It's like, I don't know. It, it's just it feels like Dabo is constantly worried that the next thing is just going to screw him. And I guess does it's he, one does thing he have that, an inferior inferiority complex. I, mean, I think a little bit. It, and I think yeah. Clemson does too. Cause you know, Clemsoning, that was the whole meme for a long time, right? That they just choke in, in crunch time. And that was their whole bag. And I, I kind of feel like they, they've been impacted by that attitude. Poor little Clemson. Yeah. Poor and, little and Clemson. you know, I don't know. So I, I think that's part of it. And uh, I don't know. I, I hope Dabo, you know, I hope Clemson gets into these, uh, these big playoffs and then lose in the first round like every year because that would just crack me up like you know, they amazing. lose like Co coastal carolina or somebody dumb and that would be very funny to me yeah see and that's part of the reason that i want the big 10 to go in and raid the acc and like just destroy that conference and then when clemson's <laughs> trying to figure out where to go and be like ah oh, sorry no well and then that's the other thing though because Clemson is another example of a school that absolutely does not want to have to be the, you know, the big fish in the big pond. They are much happier. Oh yeah. The they've got the perfect scenario pond. right now. Right. So if they were like, Oh crap, the ACC is dead. Now we have to go join the sec. They don't want to do that. I mean, it would really screw them up in a big way. If either Miami or Florida state ever got their 
crapped together right. and, and became relevant again as potential yeah. last thing they want to do yeah last thing yeah. they want to see happen right right now clemson can sleepwalk through a pretty crappy conference and get them to the playoffs right. it's it, it's it's breathtaking um and i'm sure they say the same thing about ohio state but it's it's breathtaking watching that um because those are yeah, there are programs there yeah. that, that used to be nationally relevant and just haven't been for a long time, and Clemson has stepped into that gap. Because think about that. When Miami and Florida State, under under Bobby Bowden and, and before Jim Tressel destroyed the Hurricanes and, and buried the corpse uh, somewhere in, in the Miami Sands, Clemson, like you say, was, was Clemsoning and were kind of a meme and were really nothing anybody was super worried about. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was the Florida schools. Yeah. in the ACC that were the big yeah people were talking deals. about the resurgence of Miami like in 2008 2009 you know it wasn't about you know it was Clemson going to be you know permanently good or anything like that we've been instead we've been writing is Miami back uh articles every oh preseason for the past uh what now 15 years, <laughs> 15 years. <laughs> I mean Jim Trestle really ended Larry Coker's career when you think about it <laughs> yeah he did he did he did, he did. that was That's I mean funny. Jim Jim Trestle like Mortal Kombat, finish him, flawless victory, ended that man's career. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get to ask us anything. This is a reminder that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Go to drygoods.11warriors.com. Hatch, sir, ha- hats, shirts, stickers, barware, stuff for the discerning listener. I myself am wearing an 85 yards through the heart of the south t-shirt right now it is the favorite t-shirt in my drawer oh nice. so comfortable and uh i think one of the best designs of any t-shirt i've ever seen except no substitutes buy it at drygoods.11warriors.com johnny what do we have in the mailbag today for ask us anything uh first of all you can so you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com dubcast at 11warriors.com for ask us anything and the first question is this is kind of this is a good question this is from matt in minneapolis who wants to know what would be the advice to a parent of an aspiring young football player? Little man is convinced that he's going to play D1 football despite not only his mother's objections to him playing tackle at all, but also the extreme likelihood he'll be no taller than five foot nine. I'm five foot six. Mom is five one. Uh, granted, he's he's ten, so he can decide that he wants to be a ballet de- dancer next week. Uh, but he's been saying since he's about six that he wants to play for the Buckeyes. What would be the advice, Andy, that you give to this aspiring young man? You know, I would say a couple things. One, at this stage in your life, work on just general physical, you know, uh, athletic yeah. ability. And enjoy, you know, because you'll hear guys like Urban Meyer and Ryan Day talk about how much they love multi-sport athletes. So, mm-hmm. you know, with and our daughter's just a couple years younger than than um, um, the young young future Buckeye in question here, and that's what we talk about. You know, do things like swimming, running, in her case, gymnastics, but just things that are, are good strength building, flexibility, um, you know, speed running, endurance, those kind of things. Just just good general physical preparedness. I think I think that's huge. Like I have never been a proponent of oh my gosh, my kid likes baseball, so we need to get on a travel team oh, and sure, play yeah. in tournaments every three days, you know, fifty weeks out of the year. Yeah. Because I, I just think there is a point of diminishing returns where you go past mastering the skill to either burning the kid out on it or um, or, you know, getting into those repetitive overuse type injuries. Yeah. Uh, so, Absolutely. so that's, that's a thing. So I think, especially for a kid that's, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old, make sure they're having fun 
and just building that general foundation of physical fitness and athleticism. Um, the, the other thing I think about is they would get the advice I would, would give them in a few years, you know, cause I didn't start playing football until middle school. And the thing I wish I had done differently because I had some natural ability as an offensive lineman, mm-hmm. um, namely that I was bigger than the other kids that that was the gift <laughs> that's natural ability that, that counts yeah, that was the gift God gave me at that time um I wish that I had learned to lift you know you and I've talked mm, yeah. about we, we both enjoy picking up heavy things as our particular uh exercise or or physical activity in the um in, in the keeping fit and healthy type uh arena but I didn't learn to love to lift until I was god I've been almost 30 years old uh I remember in middle school you know, they took us into the weight room in the football facility and we're like, okay, go lift, don't kill each other. Yeah. And like that was the sum total of instruction, yeah. you know? So I get in the squat rack cause I'd seen some upper classmen in the squat rack. And I, I, you know, I think I probably had the bar, um, you know, resting on about my third cervical vertebrae. It was more or less like, you know, racked on my neck. Right. Um, it was the most painful thing I'd ever done in my life. I had no idea what kind of weight I should be putting on the bar mm-hmm. and it's a wonder it didn't die. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, and then years later, uh, as a, a middle-aged fat guy, it was like, all right, I need to, you know, learn how to do this for real. Yeah. yeah. So I went and studied form, you know, and went to a great gym, uh, shout out to old school gym, formerly Patascala, now, uh, uh, elite training facility invitation only out in, uh, Granville, but shout out to coach Dustin Myers, you know, because the, the, the idea that you have to learn to lift and get the form, right. I think it makes a huge difference because when I learned what I was doing, I found out I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I give, I think, um, the, the science, uh, if you will, the profession of strength training has come a long way in the 30 years since, you know, I was, was that age. Um, and I think we probably do a better job of teaching middle school and high school athletes how to lift, but that would be the other thing is when, when your boy gets old enough to want to lift weights, make sure they learn how to do it right. Yeah, I what I would say is that I I would actually take Gene Smith's advice here and and probably hold off on tackle until at least high school and honestly not even until freshman or sophomore like after that. Yeah, I don't know why you need to learn to do tackle before middle school high school. Yeah, because like flag football is out there and honestly if you're going to have any here's what I would say. If you have any kind of real natural talent, if if that's what if you really think you can make a go of it in football, you're going to be able to show that talent in flag football, right? Without the tackling, without the the big hits or whatever. I don't think you should be taking any of those until at earliest your sophomore year of high school, um, just because of the cumulative effect of what's going to do to your body and your brain. Um, and if you don't, and if if you don't have that ability, if that's something, then I would maybe find a different sport um, because unless you're going to be really good, I don't know that it's necessarily worth the wear and tear. But I would definitely get into like flag football and see how you can apply your trade and if you end up being a badass and you're really great at it then maybe that's something to think about after like you said you know you've done some uh you know you've done a a weight program and all that kind of stuff and you've kind of like built up your body to the point where you can take that kind of punishment um but i i agree too that you know it's also good to have a good diversity of of athletic training and whatnot um you know i did all kinds of stuff when i was a kid i did karate i did um (laughs) i did archery for a little bit I did baseball, I did soccer, I did swimming. Um, you know, I, I did a bunch of different stuff and I enjoyed all of it. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was good. The other thing I would say, not that I have all the answers as a parent by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I would say the one thing that I, I took from my own experience as, as a youth athlete and then what I've seen with our daughter as well 
is make sure the kids are having fun. Whatever it is they're doing, make sure they're having oh, yeah. fun. Because I remember distinctly, little brother and I, you know, going in and doing t-ball. Uh, obviously, much younger than 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 your son here in in the case of the questioner, but going in and doing t-ball, and it was the most poorly organized. I mean, monkey crap fights at the zoo more organized <laughs> than than our local t-ball program at that point. And I had a horrible experience, and consequently, I didn't want to play little league baseball when then it was time to go sign up for little league baseball and so i missed the first probably two seasons i didn't i didn't play until i was i think like 11 um 11 or 12 then and and i found out i really enjoyed baseball uh yeah. i was not naturally gifted at that being bigger than the other kids didn't necessarily help me in that that particular endeavor i was out in uh, right field you know trying not to let the grass oh grow. hell yeah right field's the best field man that's <laughs> uh i had the distinction when i got into pony league of being the only kid in the league using a wooden bat um did that because <laughs> i just thought it looked cool and yeah, it um it does look cool I was very uh, large and slow. And so I banged one off the center field wall with that big wooden bat and uh, got all the way to third base. Any other wow, kid, nice. it would have been an in the park home run, but <laughs> <laughs> I got to third and coach was like, don't think about it. <laughs> Just stay right, right there. It'll be fine. Um, so, but make sure the kids are having fun. And we tried to do that with the little tyke. She really, really enjoyed soccer. So we're doing soccer again. Um, she was doing gymnastics and it was just okay. So when she decided she was done with that, we let her be done with that. So I think, you know, yeah. let, let them guide you a little bit, understanding that most of us are not going to be Olympic athletes are not yeah. going to be in the national football league. So just make sure they're having fun. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a big component of it. Um, tell you what, so we've got, we've actually got three more questions Two of them are a little more in depth, so we may save that for next week. Right. Um, but I do want to end uh, ask us anything on this one. This is from a good friend, Alvin, and I, I like this. So this question actually is more for me. So you know, a little self-serving on my part. I <laughs> uh, but with the Olympics starting, what's one interesting thing about Japanese people or culture Americans don't know? Um, so first of all, I, I do want to, and this is something that I'm very, uh, I try to be very clear about. Like I lived in Japan for a year. That's not nearly enough time to learn, you know, the ways and, and means of any culture or group of people at all like you know you'll, you'll just learn what you can learn with limited language skills and i was also in a part of japan uh that a lot of people aren't very familiar with and is very rural and not particularly like you know like it's it's a it's one of the more poor places in japan so what my experience was the cultural stuff that i learned um was uh i think different than maybe what most people would expect but what i will say some of the things that i really really enjoyed when i was there uh were things like concerning language for example um dialects in not just japanese but a lot of different languages can be really really uh severe the differences in dialects within the same language and i don't mean in the sense of like how something's pronounced or the sound that you make when you're saying it if you're from like you know i'm from the bronx versus from you know south carolina or whatever i'm talking more about the types of language that's being used so like where i lived uh the suffix that they use in japanese is called ben b-e-n is how you would say it and essentially that means like these are the local colloquialisms that you use in your regular everyday language but it completely is different. So an example that I would give is like, so the word for hot in Japanese is atsui. Uh, that's the standard Japanese word. The word in Miyazaki-ben, Miyazaki being the prefecture where I was living, is uh, nuki. <laughs> Those words are not similar at all. No, they, totally they are completely different. different. The word for very is tege. 
in, in Miyazaki Ben. So you could say the, the phrase Tege Nuki and people literally 30 miles away would have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Um, like Mujina, for example, would be a slang term for a cute girl in, in Miyazaki Ben. But in, in standard Japanese, it's like a Tanuki or a raccoon dog. So like there's oh, a wow. lot of stuff like that. When I was when I was getting my driver's license in Japan, uh, I had an instructor who spoke almost entirely in Miyazaki Ben. And I didn't speak much Japanese at all. So I brought along my buddy to help translate. He didn't understand a word that dude was saying. Oh, wow. Right. He had no idea. He was like, this is, I can't be any help to you at all. I'm sorry. Like, I don't understand what the hell this guy said. And this is a guy who spoke fluent Japanese. Right. So it's, <clears throat> there are some really severe differences there that I, I just find really cool and fascinating. Um, the other thing, and maybe this is surprising. I didn't think this would be surprising to people, but maybe it is. Uh, the Japanese mafia, the Yakuza is like a real damn thing. Like, it's not just a movie kind of thing. And the way they're embedded in Japanese society, at least where I live, I do want to emphasize where I live because I don't know how it functions other places. Although I do know that they have a significant presence. But like, there was literally Yakuza dude uh, on the Board of Education. And it's because the Yakuza in the local area controlled like housing contracts and building contracts and, and property rights and stuff like that. So if the local school district wanted to build a new school or they wanted a new gym or something like that, but that land hadn't been zoned by the Yakuza for that purpose. You need to have a liaison between the school board and the Yakuza to, to verify that would be okay to do that. And like, it sounds really weird and like, I don't know, oppressive in a way. And maybe it is, but like, um, that was the, that was the rigmarole that people had to go through to wow. get stuff done. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it, it, you know, the Yakuza is also really regional, like the, the Kagoshima Yakuza is like known for kind of being their own thing. They don't get interference from the other Yakuza groups from like Osaka or Tokyo. It's, it's the whole thing. Um, but it's also a very like weirdly business-like professional thing. So I don't know. It, like the head of the Yakuza actually lived in my, in the area, the head of the Yakuza actually lived in my apartment building on the top floor. And he had like the entire top floor. <laughs> wow. And it's funny because like, I only talked to him a couple of times, but like, incredibly friendly guy he yeah. wore really bright like he wore like bright pink track suits and he had like these little tiny dogs and it was just he's like a super villain but i don't know <laughs> he's always very friendly to me he was just he always said hello and so i don't know but it, it's it's definitely a cultural thing that's very real and um it's yeah i don't know it definitely has an impact on people's lives so those are two things that i would say but i, I will say overall i absolutely loved my time in japan the people there are wonderful um just the nicest people in the universe and they were so accommodating to my dumb ass and you know and the people i worked with were always fantastic i love the kids um and again i was living in the southern part of japan the stereotypes about southern japan are very similar to the stereotypes about southern america so oh. a lot of rednecks right you know people considered to be rough and and much more casual and I loved it. I loved the environment. Um, I hated the heat, but I, I loved the the culture and how everybody was. They're just the friendliest, most laid back, nicest people ever. It was awesome. Nice. I have nothing whatsoever to add in terms of Japanese culture, but I will give uh, a book recommendation. So I love historical fiction in particular. And a British author uh, I am very fond of named James Clavell wrote a book called Shogun, and it was about the feudal mm. area, a feudal era of Japan uh, around 1600 in the Battle of Sikigara. 
would highly recommend that. And then the follow-up to that, uh, that kind of ties in with another storyline that he was writing a couple books, um, centered around Hong Kong and the British trading mm. families and, uh, privateers and such that helped settle Hong Kong. Um, but the follow-up that crosses his Japanese storyline with his Hong Kong storyline was a book called Gaijin. Um, so read James Clavell's Asian saga in general. It's fantastic. The books are all now, gosh, 50 years old. Um, if you're at all into uh, books about the uh, U.S. military history or, or any of that kind of thing, he has a great book called King Rat that was um, about prisoners of war at Oh, shucks. And all of a sudden the, the POW camp has escaped me, but it was in Singapore, I think. Uh, great, great book there. Um, but then this one about uh, Japan, feudal Japan is called Shogun. Highly recommend it. Really, nice. really, really excellent book. The author's name is James, James Clavel. So, uh, all right, let's do, uh, again, as a reminder that you can, of course, send your questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. You can also uh, hit us up on twitter as well we had a great one um on twitter this week and we'll hold that back for next week as well so don't worry brian we'll get to your question next week as well quick cows pj fleck head coach of the minnesota golden gophers compared ohio state uh, to the kentucky derby as the season opener for the golden gophers johnny how are you feeling about having a thursday night season opener Let's do it. Let's go. I don't care. It's it's fun. Like I, I used to be really like, ah, no way. Only Saturday games. But like, you know what? Screw it. Let's have fun with it. Put it on national TV. Let everybody get excited about the incoming football season. That'll be cool. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm coming around to the idea. I'm generally a traditionalist, so I don't. I, I didn't love it when it was announced. But you know, as long as it's not Friday night, the Friday night thing, I'm not okay with because we shouldn't be uh, crapping on high school football. But Thursday, hey, you know what? Fine. Uh, announced this week, all Big Ten preseason selections, Chris Olave, Thayer Munford, and Garrett Wilson representing the Big Ten East as preseason honorees. Buckeyes had three of the five from the East. About par for the course, would you say? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. I think that's that's pretty much it. I think that's that's about right. And the only reason that it wasn't four for five is because Ohio State doesn't have a returning starter at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, other note before we close this thing out, NCAA champion wrestler Nick Suriano, formerly of Rutgers, is in the transfer portal, reportedly has mutual interest between uh, Ohio State and Suriano in the 133-pound champion from 2019 coming to the Buckeyes for his final season of collegiate eligibility. The reason I mention it, Johnny, is – uh, the word on the street is that NIL is a factor in his decision making. I wrote um, late last week that I thought that put Ohio State in a pretty good position, all things considered. How big a factor do you expect NIL will be, not just in recruiting, but specifically for transfer recruits moving forward? Is is that going to be uh, the most, if not one of the, the the two most or three most important things in a recruit's decision when they're thinking about where to go for their new their new stop i think be part of the pitch and, and if they're reaching out to other people who are in the program and i'm sure a student athlete will be asking like hey man how's nil working for you guys are you getting good deals are you do you have a good apparatus set up you know are there are there organizations or companies that everybody works with that i could get in with i, I think that's definitely be part of it and it should be because it's, it's you can make a lot of money obviously and, and if that is the case, and I agree with you, I think you summed that up well, is my hypothesis right that Ohio State probably has as good, if not a better pitch in that regard than anybody else in the country? 
I think they have one of the best. I, I, I think, you know, if you want to combine the, if you want to combine the large metropolitan area and obviously the success of the program and all that stuff, I, I think that helps out a lot. Um, but I honestly, you know what? I, I think when we start analyzing the numbers behind all of this, we may be surprised at how well some of these smaller schools are doing and what they're able to get for their student athletes. We, we might be surprised that the disparity is not as big as we think. See, cause I look and say, okay, Ohio state is in the 14th largest city in the country. Columbus is, you know, not a small town compare that yeah. to, uh, Oh, let's say Iowa city or state college or West Lafayette, you know, and I look and say, gosh, Northwestern's got it pretty good being in Chicago, I guess in Chicago's big 10 team, but mm-hmm. most of these other big 10 programs in particular are i mean they're they're out in the middle of nowhere relatively speaking yeah i don't know that purdue's like looking around west lafayette and be like, yeah that's where the money w- wisconsin's got a good deal in madison madison's very yeah uh, madison minneapolis st paul helps town. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i shouldn't undersell minnesota there because the twin cities yeah that's a, that's a great and then city. if you're maryland you know you've got like the dc metro area that helps out a little bit um rutgers obviously you know that's that's and they're not super close, but I mean the Lincoln enough. media market. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, that's that kind of sucks. Um, but if you're Illinois, you know, Champaign, I don't I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of rough. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's really regional. I mean, you know, if you're Ann Arbor, I mean, really East Lansing and Ann Arbor are pretty I mean, yes, Detroit is obviously much smaller than it used to be and not nearly the media market that it was, but there's still advantages to be had there. So that that's what I mean. I I don't think, with the exception of a few of these schools, I think that there's still things that they can leverage and and do pretty well with. That's going to do it for this week. Until next time, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. And we'll see you then on the 11 Dubcast.